0: If you had to define yourself and your identity in one word, which word would you choose? What do you think others see first? Your race, your gender, your sexual orientation? In elementary school, I was the teacher, always the teacher, when I played pretend with my friends. One day, I wanted to be the baker, a lawyer the next. In middle school, I was inspired by the forensic anthropologist on the TV show Bones. I was determined to go to Tennessee University, where they have a dead body farm there, followed by graduate school at Cambridge University. My high school film program introduced me to the art of cinematography and director Wes Anderson. Now, I'm at Chapman University near Anaheim, California, as a Peace Studies and Psychology major, and I have no idea what I might do with it. Subconsciously, I've already been putting myself in boxes to define who I am and what's important to me. I'm starting to see how we tend to box ourselves into spaces so that we can shape our sense of identity. We decide who fits in that box with us and who does not. My identity, if I boiled it down beyond a future career choice, is that I am a social justice advocate. I was three years old when I was handing out Hillary Clinton campaign stickers in New York. Mm -hmm. After we moved to Minnesota, my mom took me to the Wellstone memorial service when I was four. So basically, I was started young. My first cognizant experience of politics was when I was 14 and participated in the close-up program at my high school that sent kids to D.C. to hold mock debates with other students around the country. I was still young and timid when I went to D.C., so I didn't talk or participate in the debates. But I distinctly remember coming away from a particularly heated debate about gun control and was shocked that other kids my age vehemently disagreed and wholeheartedly wanted their guns protected. I'd grown up watching Stephen Colbert and Jon Stewart and always thought the people that they made fun of, largely gun-toting conservatives, were rare exceptions or were always old and white men who wanted a traditional lifestyle. The same people who believe in conversion therapy, white supremacy, and keeping women in the kitchen. That eye-opening experience at Close Up was furthered by my progressive high school classmates who created Educate Yourself, a school day dedicated to demolishing stereotypes and educating our students on everything from peaceful protesting to cultural appropriation to photographing protests and cultural events as white allies. Even though I wasn't able to vote in the 2016 election, I was excused from school and was an election judge a job I will be doing on Tuesday for the primaries, so everybody remember to vote. I also had the role of my grandmother. I vividly remember watching the 2016 presidential debates, or more specifically, watching my grandmother watch the presidential debates. And her rather loud and strongly worded insults hurled at a particular candidate, as if he somehow might hear her. My time at FUS has also helped spark the value of being an active participant in social justice. It's much more than politics, it's about making change. The summer of my junior year here, this congregation paid for me to do an internship with a small nonprofit, Cool Planet. Adele Hansen nudged me into entering a Peace Essay contest that I ended up getting an award for. And my whole time in the youth program including General Assembly in 2015 when we learned during a youth worship worship service that same-sex marriage had just been legalized at the Supreme Court level. Just a year ago I was on this stage talking about how to engage in conversation about what we believe and why. I said it's not about deciding who is right and who is wrong, that it's about understanding why people believe what they do and not trying to convince them that they're wrong. It was a great community to grow up in, being surrounded by like-minded individuals. And then I went to college. (laughs) I'm going to be real with you. When I started as a freshman at Chapman University, I thought I had made the worst mistake of my life. I was listening to friends and other high school classmates telling me how much they loved their new homes. And all I wanted to do was to return to mine in Minnesota but not because I was homesick. I've always thought of myself as an East Coast girl, and it was a culture shock living in Southern California. I felt uncomfortable, out of place, and it took me a long time to find other students that were as engaged as I was about social justice. I did try, though. About two weeks into the school year, I was in a small class. In an icebreaker, we were asked to say where we were from. There was only one other Midwesterner, the only one I met the entire year at Chapman. Now, I'm an introvert. I distinctly remember while gathering my backpack that I gave myself a pep talk and forced myself to talk to this chick named Megan from Wisconsin. We walked back together from class and ended up talking in my tiny dorm room for five hours, largely about politics. She's now one of my best friends. This is how I met all my close friends from Chapman, in late night, one-on-one conversations, often centered around politics, humanitarian issues, and social justice. Still, the best conversations I was having were with other like-minded people, namely because they were the only people I bothered to associate myself with. And isn't that one of the difficulties of these roots in the community we live in? Isn't it so much easier to surround yourself with other progressives in the liberal bubble? When I went to Southwest High School, for example, it felt good to be among the majority. I was aware that the relatively few conservative students at Southwest did not feel comfortable speaking out, defending their point of view, because they were grossly outnumbered. During my senior year of high school, I went to the International Women's Day March with a few friends. You might remember that there was a like-mindedness of the platform that alienated many supporters and caused resentment by trans women, pro-lifers, and women of color. The like-minded bubble gets us in trouble sometimes because we sometimes get tunnel vision, which can affect our ability to notice the other people who want to be in the room, too. Interestingly, at Chapman, I noticed that the DFL and GOP booths were right next to each other at a club fair. They were equally represented. For fun at Chapman, I played poker, and that's how I accidentally became friends with Republicans, proud gun owners, devout religious people, and people who live in mansions and on yachts. I was finally befriending the different. But I knew in order to be friends, For me personally, I couldn't have deep political conversations with them. I'm just too much of a hothead. (laughs) Is that the healthy way? Avoid political conversations with those who are not like-minded? I've heard from a lot of the older generations that they're so excited for the youth of the future as controversial subjects are becoming less taboo. And I agree that they are but that doesn't mean it's any easier for us youth to speak up about them. It also doesn't mean we all agree, just as I experienced at close up. One of my friends, Mia, went to a relative's wedding recently, a wedding largely attended by conservative rural Minnesotans. At the reception, she hung out with her cousins who were the same age. They actually used the R word, the one associated with mental health, and phrases like, that's gay, and even one I'd never heard before. That's AIDS, to refer to something sickening or stupid. I was like, what year is this? Mia wishes she had said something in response, but thought, it's family, we're at a wedding. We still need role models today to show how speaking up works. So for my next act, my sophomore year of college, I'm going to a program in a country run by a xenophobic, media-hating president whose daughter is the honorary first lady. And no, I'm not talking about the US. (laughs) It doesn't really seem like I'm studying abroad, does it? Uh, Next week, I'm moving to Prague in the Czech Republic for a semester. I want to study abroad because I want to use it as a jumping off point to other countries to soak up as much Europe as I can. I want to learn what it's like to live in a country that doesn't have such an egotistical identity like the US. I want to meet students from neighboring countries. I want to widen my circle and international perspective. I want to find out what it's like to be different. Ironically, I can't be politically active there or protest because it's prohibited as a Chapman student studying abroad. After Prague, I will spend my spring semester in DC for a different program. I'll be taking taking seminar classes twice a week and spending my other three days interning at a selective nonprofit organization, which has yet to be determined. Hopefully, I will go to some place like Save the Children or the Peace Corps I love Washington, D.C., and since my freshman year of high school, I've been there four different times. I'm excited that I'll get to live there, even though only a few miles away. The title of my talk is, (laughs) yeah, it takes a little bit. (laughs) Um, The title of my talk is, My Year Away, The Red Life, which refers to how I'm hopping from one red city to the next increasing the proximity of conservatives near me. I didn't take advantage of my past year at Chapman, learning about the other. Maybe in this next year I can remedy that. I'm going to be exposed to a lot of passionate students. I will give myself a pep talk and force myself to deeply talk about our political differences. I want to engage in conversations with other people that aren't necessarily like-minded and those who don't have the same background as me. This summer, I was fortunate to receive a research grant to work with a classmate on a documentary project that we titled Invisible Narratives. Our topic was on Asian-American women in Hollywood and the lack thereof. For example, did you know that Joy Luck Club was produced 25 years ago? That's the last time a Hollywood movie was produced with an all-Asian cast. We interviewed 12 amazing Asian and Asian American women from different occupations and backgrounds and ages. Americans often group Asian countries as one identity, which is not at all true. Asian American women don't find their stories told in Hollywood films, except as one of three stereotypes, the badass warrior, the domesticated tiger mom, or the exotic geisha girl. We interviewed everyone from first generation women to fourth generation. Growing up in the U.S., they all reported a similar experience, regardless of how long their family had been in this country. When they were growing up, they wanted to have blue eyes and blonde hair, like Barbie, or the women they saw in films and TV shows. Most of them skipped lunches afraid of being bullied if they opened the smelly lunchbox their mom had packed full of traditional foods. Every single woman we interviewed had a specific story about being asked by strangers. So where are you from? What are you? I've never been asked that question. As a white cisgender woman, how other people identify me has never been an issue. Through this project, I learned from 12 other women, what it's like to be labeled, to be judged, to be invisible. We find our identity in stories. In today's reading by my brother, Isabella Starr LeBlanc said, the head of school hid behind a textbook and a big wooden table and said, I don't understand the problem. This is an American history class, not a native history class. I loved my 10th grade American history class at Southwest. The year started when the teacher showed a clip from the newsroom, that one where Jeff Daniels' Anchorman character goes on a rant about how the United States keeps telling stories about its exceptionalism, when what we're really number one at are things we don't like to talk about. And yet, it wasn't until this summer when I listened to the stories of Asian and Asian American women That I truly began to realize how selective we are about the stories we choose to listen to. I consider myself woke and I realize more and more how much I don't know about how other people live and think and suffer and feel shut out of conversations. How they're unable to find their identity in movies and politics. Handing out stickers for Hillary Clinton, being surrounded by progressive classmates, and seeing my grandmother yell at the TV have shaped who I am? What happens when we don't recognize ourselves in textbooks and on stage and at tables where the decisions are made? What happens when the decision maker says, I don't understand the problem. This is my history. It's bigger than yours. Yours is not important. We want to see others like us in society. It's sad and traumatic and stupefying when we can't, especially when the role models and characterizations of ourselves are plagued with stereotypes. In the case of my half-Vietnamese documentary partner, Jackie, she didn't even realize she was missing from mainstream media. She was never surrounded by her Vietnamese culture growing up, so she was oblivious to the fact that Asian-American women were invisible or hypersexualized in everything from movies, to TV, to books, to social media. It wasn't until her freshman year in college that she found herself in a more diverse culture and began to wonder, where am I? Who am I? She didn't know what it meant to be Asian American other than filling in a bubble on the ACT test. One last anecdote I want to share is from a few weeks ago. The 16 recipients of the summer grant program were invited to the home of the president of Chapman for a formal dinner. We were asked in writing after the, program, after the program ended to anonymously review our experience. One question was about the dinner. Here is my rather blunt answer. The president didn't ask about our projects. He sat in a corner the entire time, making students come to him. The patio was set up to split people into groups. The food was great, but the Chapman staff who catered had to stand hidden in the corner the entire time. The whole thing gave off an elitist, awkward vibe. It doesn't help connect students to the president, knowing that while tuition is going up, our president is living nicely in a $6 million gated community. In hindsight, my reaction to the Chapman president is what Jackie feels every day, not feeling invited to the table. It's what conservatives in my high school felt, not having a real chance to connect with someone about what matters to you. It's about me, avoiding people who are not like-minded because I'm afraid of judging them or being judged because we have different beliefs. It's about being boxed in and stereotyped. Our tendency is to put others in very simplistic spaces, including conservatives. We don't want to hear other sides. We have little tolerance for it. So we often ostracize the other, however we define that. We shut people out, and they get pissed. That's partly why we have Trump. We don't have real conversations with people because of who we think they are. I go back to the earnest talk I gave at youth service here last year when I thought I knew the answers better than I do today. How do we tell stories together without alienating each other? How do we allow room to create a common space? I will be earnest again now as I step off into another year of learning what I don't know. We need to stop having conversations with ourselves, meaning people who agree with us, simply because we don't want to become angry or uncomfortable. It's not something I took advantage of my first year in California. I'm taking another year away, pursuing the red life. Wish me luck. Thank you.